first and foremost, I'm excited to see a, a long overdue shift to kind of contactless checkout. You know, it's been something that we've seen in China and Asia as well as the EU for a long time. And I think we've been slow to adopt here in the US. You know, I think it's a good start, but, you know, we continue to have catch up to do in other parts of the world as it relates to technology, I think. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Retail Remix. Special because, one, we're obviously on video today, which is great. And two, we actually have two guests in the hot seat today. I am thrilled to have joining me for this design-focused conversation, my colleague, Jesse Dowd, who oversees a lot of our design retail content. Jesse, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And of course, our man of the hour, Aaron Burney of Gensler. He is the global retail leader and design principal. He's going to be our expert commentator. Um, obviously, he does this work every day. He's having a lot of conversations with brands and retailers. So Aaron, appreciate you taking the time to uh, keep us honest on some of the trends that we're going to be talking about today. Oh, thanks for having me, Alicia. Appreciate it. So before we get to the brass tacks of the conversation today, Aaron, I would love for you to just kind of share a little bit about the work that you do. Again, like I said, you live and breathe this every day, but why don't you share a little bit about Gensler, what your day-to-day looks like, and you know, kind of the work that you're doing with the firm right now. Sure, absolutely. Happy to. So Gensler is a, is a global design firm really born from interior and architectural roots. And our focus is really on utilizing design to create a better world. As a firm, we organize ourselves through design studios and practice expertise, everything from strategy to digital experience and product design and of course, retail. And so my training is an architect and designer. My current role in the organization is a global practice leader. And this serves a wide range of industries, everything from automotive to banking, apparel, as well as technology businesses. So really enjoy working with retailers on new concepts, helping their brands come to life in physical space, as well as other channels. So back in March, Design Retail and Retail Touchpoints reached out. We did our very first benchmark survey um, for Design Retail, which was really exciting. And we reached out to our executive readers to gauge design trends and priorities. One of the main takeaways that we found to be really telling is that 71% of our respondents said that design and the visual component of retail strategy and execution is more important than two years ago. So what do you think, Aaron? Are you hearing similar takes from your discussions with peers and clients? Yeah, I, I think as an architect, I think the visual is extremely important. I think you recall the stat, I think 80% of impressions are based on sight as a sense. And so I think that's a continued to be, has always been, but will continue to be a, a strong point for retail as well as kind of the execution of it. More recently, I think people are looking for visuals to create kind of a a quicker, more intuitive way to navigate space, helping people circulate. And then in addition to maybe even more so than before, where, you know, maybe the priority was really around discovery and having the ability for people to kind of meander and find things at their leisure. So I think executives, readers know that intuitively that they probably need to support both of these functions, but maybe there may be a, a greater slant towards that 
that visual now just from a clarity of purpose, wayfinding, navigation, circulation, et cetera. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think we're going to get into some of those shifts, especially because what we're hearing more about evolving consumer behaviors, that definition of what a good experience has always varied depending on the type of brand that you are, um, you know, what your optimal experience looks like, but there definitely have been some very interesting shifts, I think, over the past um, few weeks and months, and and I'm sure there'll continue to be some changes. So we'll get into that a a little bit later, but I do want to ask your take on, I guess, what's happening within the organization, right? So we all agree design is very important, that that visual experience does play a role in building your brands, building that recall and that richness of the experience. So I'm glad we're all aligned there, but I would love to hear your take on how companies are prioritizing that that visual side of the equation in a tactical sense. So just for context, like our survey said that despite all the layoffs and and furloughs that were happening within their organizations, their design teams either stay the same or they actually expanded over the past year, which I thought was very interesting considering all of the um, volatility that was taking place over the past year. So, I mean, are, are you seeing more budget, more attention being placed in this area of the experience equation, so to speak? Like, are, are your clients hiring more people? Are they trying to build out their skill sets in any way? And I understand you can't really get into specifics you know, at the client level, but I mean, more broadly at, at a trend level. I mean, what are you seeing there? Yeah, I think, you know, the ones that, you know, are looking to designers to kind of help them through this transformation are definitely keeping their eye out and looking for kind of the best and brightest in talent. There are kind of three critical things that I'm hearing from retailers right now around how they're approaching and looking at their businesses. And the first one I would say is really looking at right-sizing their business. We've seen a dramatic shift, and I think this plays into staffing, both ups and downs. A dramatic shift in consumer behavior, as you mentioned at the beginning of this segment, there's a simple amount of times that people go to the supermarket in a week or even shift to delivery of the subscription services, right? But executives are looking at this behavior and really trying to determine how behavior will shape the opportunity for their business in the future. In many cases, this involves right-sizing certain categories or even their real estate portfolios to help position them for future successes. So there's been a huge shift, as we have all seen, in where people live and where they work, learn, or even play. And every business is looking at this very carefully to see how they come to market. The second one I'd mentioned, which was really this notion of optimization. Companies are really looking at this through the lens of everything from supply chain to creating manufacturing and local fabrication opportunities, or maybe even just cross-training sales staff to think about in-store service as well as online fulfillment and delivery opportunities. So I think that's really kind of the second thing that I'm seeing in a big way. And then I'd say the third one that a lot of clients are talking about and, and really asking about is how do I differentiate myself as I move into the future? So it's really this idea of what, what's unique about my company, my organization, and really, really identifying that and taking a stance on that as an organization. So this ties directly to everything from online to social channels, as well as the in-store experience. And it also ties into the organizational structure, as we mentioned, right? So how do those teams come together? 
how do they work together, how do they overlap, and how do they have common goals and kind of KPIs to drive the business forward. Got it. Yeah. And I'm glad you kind of brought up how all of these different functions and disciplines are are almost in a way kind of bleeding into each other, right? Like a, like to your point around fulfillment, like we've noticed fulfillment become more of a experience driver, right? Because that's something that consumers are paying closer attention to. It influences how possibly loyal they are to certain retailers. It plays into that bigger definition of customer experience. So that kind of ties to my next question in a way around budget. Like, So I guess the question is, how are you seeing budget being assessed? Are you seeing budgets increase for store experience specifically? Are you seeing budgets starting to like go into other disciplines, I guess? Because if you think about design, like that can be marketing, that could be fulfillment. Like there's kind of some, I guess, gray area, like I guess as far as how you could define and and implement a budget. But again, I'm not, you know, this world every day. So I'd love for you to kind of break down what you're seeing as far as how how companies are setting and optimizing their budgets for redesigns, new store concepts and the like. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I can only speculate that the budgets are tied in a lot of ways to the business transformation, right? And so some of the budgets we may see on the marketing side, which traditionally held some of the experiential sides of the business, you know, there being kind of an uptick in that, right? And this beginning of the year has seen some bright spots as we've started to kind of open things up. I think executives are really trying to determine whether there's a need for this push towards transformation or whether things are are just going to go back to kind of the way things were. So I think there's a real question mark right now around kind of how much money to kind of put towards some of these transformation ideas. And, you know, I think that's affecting budgets, obviously. I'm not sure. I think in different organizations, they're probably playing out in different ways, up and down. But I think that my perspective is that this is a change that is a long-lasting change in behavior that we're going to see. So I think that transformation has started many years ago, and I think it's accelerated through this last year. I think we'll continue to see kind of an evolution of the way that people inhabit and shop in space. I think that's so interesting when you think about how they're taking budgets and refocusing them to the different channels, trying to get that maximum omni-channel alignment. But when you drill down to the physical store budgets, where do you see most of the investment happening? Is it in remodels, new concepts, pop-ups, new formats? What do you think is really going to be the driving focus here? Well, I think it really depends on the industry. You know, the businesses that have been successful through this process, businesses that are flush with cash are obviously looking for, you know, expansion. Businesses that haven't done well, I think they, they're looking for how do I maximize or optimize and renovate my space to be able to accommodate maybe a new way of doing business, right? So renovation is definitely occurring. I think it's happened, you know, this last year in a, in a pretty grand scale, trying to get up to speed with rules and regulations, jurisdiction requirements, et cetera, on social distancing and making sure that their employees are, are safe. But it was great to hear, I think, last week that this quarter more stores have opened than have closed. And so there's obviously an expansion that's taking place and people are looking at uh, store openings as a path forward. 
So I, th I think it's all of the above. And I think the last category was probably kind of this notion of more temporary pop-up style spaces that are occurring. And those are often a mechanism for retailers to create test and learn opportunities. So it, instead of the larger investment in a store build out or store format, these are opportunities that they can test new ideas, maybe new ways to come to market or even partnerships with other brands. I'd say all of the above. <laughs> So you touched on this a little bit with the flexibility and the temporary spaces being able to, to iterate and test. So with your more permanent spaces and the reconfiguration of stores, we're seeing a lot of modular approaches now to support everything from appointment-based shopping, fulfillment, BOPIS, even stores being used as content studios for social commerce. So what goes into achieving that level of modularity and how do you see that shaking out sort of in terms of developing the strategy behind the remodels and the actual execution? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think in retail, it's, it's actually been something that's been around for a really long time, right? This notion of kind of modularity, especially around kind of merchandising and fixturing, seasonal changes, influx of new products and even shopper behaviors, right? And so how do they adapt? How do retailers adapt to that? I think now what's occurring is maybe a realization, you know, in a bigger way that brands really want to and need to continue to create engagement with their customers. And so this type of modular approach that you mentioned is, is a way to have multiple uses potentially occurring in a space in a cost-effective way, right? And therefore creating deeper types of engagement in that space. Designers are now looking for a variety of different scenarios, everything from day partying or creating different programming uses for different times of the day to, to events and education spaces as well that help create deeper connections with the brand as well as the communities. So I think this modular approach is conceived and can be executed in new locations as well as remodels. The benefit is a greater connection and understanding by the brand of what works for that given community. And it becomes, as you mentioned, a test and learn, you know, opportunity uh, that can really be built upon. And I think there are a bunch of stats that are out there, but I think these modular approach spaces are actually continuing to renew and increase their short-term leases, you know, over and over again because of that. Yeah. It's very fascinating, and I think it'll be really interesting to see what approaches different retailers take, because Aaron, to your point, you know, it really is contingent upon that brand promise and what elements make sense and, and what value can we provide to that customer experience. Because like, I know when we did this survey, it was still very much the heart of the pandemic, and a lot of retailers were reimagining their front of house experience, largely to accommodate social distancing requirements, to stand up maybe omni-channel fulfillment, like in their services centers. So it seemed like a lot of the work kind of went to that front of house experience. And I want to ask Jesse to weigh in first, and then I'd love for you to weigh in as well. I mean, do you both believe that this emphasis on front of house was largely contextual to what was happening, you know, due to COVID? Or do you think that we're going to continue to see 
movement in this area because things are starting to open up, people are starting to come out a little bit more. And the focus is going to be on like what new elements that drive that engagement, Aaron, like you were talking about, they're going to start to push the creative limits again and start to roll some of those more educational engagement and entertainment driven initiatives again. Jesse, why don't you weigh in first and then Aaron, I'll love for you to weigh in next. I think any of the changes that we saw get accelerated by COVID, things like BOPIS and curbside and self-checkout, I think that's not going away. Consumers have come to expect that now, and it's a requirement. If you don't have that, you're behind the game. There, of course, are going to be certain types of store visits and products that are going to always now fall into these sort of high efficiency, speed, convenient type of transactions that that reimagined front of house is going to be crucial for. And then, you know, on the other side of the coin, you'll have the consumers coming in who want to have more of an experiential environment to immerse themselves in after all of this time. So I think you're going to have a divergent type of consumer experience that you have to provide, but that front of house reimagination, that's here to stay. Yeah, I completely agree. And, And I think this has been kind of, in a lot of ways, it's been a really great stress test for retailers this last year has accelerated a lot of the initiatives that were already in place and already underway and and pushed retailers to kind of think creatively about how to approach that. I think we've we've seen, as Jesse mentioned, a lot of of flux and a lot of change happening in a lot of organizations. And so I think that internal mechanism of change is going to continue as well. And so I think it's made retailers more resilient in the way that they they approach what they do. And I think that that kind of scrappiness, kind of quick pace of change that the retailers have had will continue. And I think it'll end up kind of permeating to everything that they do as far as the front of house as well and kind of the experiences that you start to see in the space. Those are great points. So thinking more about things that COVID has caused retailers to change. What about sort of all of the interesting enhancements and experimentation now with new materials? So at first we were seeing more durable and hygienic options come to the forefront, but I'd love to get your thoughts sort of on the latest turn or re-emphasis on sustainability and how that's applying to material selections moving forward. What are you seeing in that realm? Uh, well, I think, as you mentioned at the beginning, I think everyone was looking at uh, antimicrobial and antiviral surfaces and how those could start to play out. I think, you know, there's been a bigger shift, I think, as we've gone through the last year now to really rethinking, you know, strategies. It's not a either or, but it's an and. And so it's thinking about, you know, not only those strategies, uh, hygienic kind of options and that sort of thing. But it's also really around this notion of sustainability and materials and longevity of materials and maybe reuse of materials, recycling of materials, that sort of thing. Sustainability, I think, doesn't really mean becoming kind of trendy, you know, or disposable or rather even more thoughtful, right, in the materials that are selected and how they provide multiple benefits to the customer. So, it's been a part of many of the discussion forums around sustainability of materials, especially in the fashion industry. And I think this goes through everything from how 
apparel and fashion is created and you know, the amount of water used and all, all sorts of things. It's become a very big topic of conversation in retail. And I think uh, retailers are really, really thinking hard about what the effect is that they're having. I think, as you guys know, the retail industry and the building industry are two of the largest contributors to CO2 emissions. So this is one of the important things at Kensler that we're actively working on as an important part of the discussions with retailers as we move forward is how to make sure that you know, we're integrating and thinking about kind of the longevity of what we're building and the purpose behind it. I love that point around being intentional, that decisions need to make sense for the business and have longevity versus let's just tick the box and do it just because everyone's talking about it and it'll show that we're paying attention because that that allows you to kind of go into these conversations in a more productive and strategic way. I feel like you, you can add more value when you're thinking through the long-term impact and the long-term change that you can make as an organization. Um, So I I really love that point, Aaron. And I think it ties into a lot of the things that we talk about at Retail Touchpoints, most specifically the role of technology in the store, because it's tricky, you know, covering some of this new cutting edge tech and, you know, some of the great experiences they support, because on one hand, yeah, it's really cool. But then on the other, it's like, okay, well, what long-term value are we providing to our customers? Does it really make an impact versus the cost? And I feel like there's been this really interesting evolution in terms of how we talk about and think about the role of technology in the store. Like it used to be like how cool and entertaining and fun can we make the store experience, which I I guess is still relevant for certain brands. But, you know, during the heart of COVID specifically, it was how do we make this experience safer, how do we make it more utility-based? I guess you could say like we saw an explosion in, in contactless payment capabilities, and that was a big driver of tech investment in the, in the store. And in comparison, the more immersive, I guess you could say, technologies such as like digital signage, um, kiosks, like they, they weren't as widely widely implemented. And again, very well could be contextual. So I'd love to hear your perspective on on if you're seeing these conversations pivot back to the more engagement side of the tech experience or what tech you think is really rising to the top right now, or do you think it's going to be all about finding that point of intersection between utility and engagement in the store experience? Those are all really great questions. Um, First and foremost, I'm excited to see a a long overdue shift to kind of contactless checkout. You know, it's been something that we've seen in China and Asia as well as the EU for a long time. And I think we've been slow to adopt here in the U.S. You know, I think it's a good start, but, you know, we continue to have catch up to do in other parts of the world as it relates to technology, I think. We're continuing to see, as you mentioned, kind of this utilitarian kind of more invisible technology that's starting to take place in the store environments. It's something that we've gone through many exercises and really asked, you know, retailers, what's the purpose of of this digital screen that you have in your space and what is it really doing for you? So we've we've had a lot of conversations about rethinking the role of technology. Obviously, there's there's a very critical component to it, which is perception, right? And having technology in the space creates a, a perception for retailers that they're future forward. 
in their thinking, but I think it's the operations side, it's the content renewal side, it's the upkeep that often catches many retailers off guard as it relates to cost. And so really thinking about technology in a way that's creating kind of a purposeful use and really enhancing the experience for customers, I think is is the direction it'll continue to go. And that can manifest itself in a number of different ways, depending on the type of retailer. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into that before we close things up. But I do want to ask, I mean, how do you guide these conversations? Because I could imagine that you have these executives with really big ideas and they have this vision for the brand and what the next-gen experience looks like. I mean, how do you weigh out the, you know, okay, let's do something that helps differentiate the brand, but like, okay, but let's also make sure it serves a real need and it's making consumers' lives easier because I guess your your job is to ensure that all of those elements are checked and that they get the optimal return on their investments, right? I mean, how does that all shake out for you? Yeah, I think when we initiate and start those conversations, it's really around kind of the why. Right. And as we think about design, we want to understand people always come to us with kind of a vision, as you mentioned, you know, here's what I'm looking to do and here's what it's going to look like. And here's what I've been thinking. And I here's what my friends tell me I think I, they need in addition to this. So we get all types of requests. But I think the, the real question around it comes down to the why. And, you know, if we can dive pretty deeply into really kind of the thinking around it. I think we can, as an organization, as a design agency, we can really help position our clients to make the right decisions. In some cases, we've actually talked customers out, our clients out of, maybe you don't need a, a long-term lease and a you know 8,000 square foot space, and maybe you can actually do this in quite a bit of less space with maybe a short-term lease and test and learn, and maybe we can continue to kind of grow this. So I think, there's a number of different ways, and we we are constantly analyzing the industry. We're constantly looking at uh, not only what other like-minded retailers are doing, but also you know cross industry. Where are the innovations occurring, and how do we think about those innovations in relationship to that specific client's business? Thinking about some of the specific technologies that are starting to emerge. We've all seen sort of the explosion in augmented reality and how that's been used both by the e-commerce side and physical retail. So what are some of the techs that you think are going to be just exploding over like the next year or so? I think we'll continue to see digital signage. I think we'll continue to be a big part of uh, retailers' environments. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is you know, the sustainability, you know, notion that I mentioned before and kind of the cost effectiveness of investing in some of those kind of digital signage elements long term. So I think we'll continue to see that. I think we're continuing to see uh, investments in things that are a little bit more invisible to customers. So things like heat mapping in stores and, you know, trying to understand kind of how to create that optimized experience in store. And then I think there's a lot of data mining that's also occurring from the online side, right? And so what are the trade-offs? What are the what are the things that the online shoppers are looking for for an in-store experience, right? And so how do we start to provide maybe a, a supplement to that online experience that they can't have? Maybe it's more of an immersion, a sensory immersion experience, or maybe it's really just kind of getting something quickly that they can't get delivered in a day, but they can go pick up at a local store. 
So I think it really is dependent on the retailer, the need, again, the why behind what they're trying to achieve and making sure we have the right tool for the task. I think in, in many ways, there's been kind of a fast follower notion in retail, you know, that we want to do what someone else has done because we've seen it and it looks cool and it's, you know, it's out there and it's being talked about. But I think I would recommend that all retailers are, are looking at making sure it's right for their brand and specifically for what they're hoping to achieve. I love how measured you are, Aaron, because it's so easy to run away with some of these ideas and some of the possibilities. And to your point about digital displays, it also kind of supports better agility, right? Like we're talking about digital and physical married together, creating that consistency, that cohesion and digital displays allow you to kind of make those digital like changes to the store environment and using content, using messaging that better reflects any of those changes that you need to make from an experience standpoint. Like you want to put that information front and center and that that supports it. So I think those are some really great points. And I feel like we can go on and on and on, continue to unpack all of the layers that, that come into these design discussions. But we do have to close things out. But I want to have some fun as we do that. So first question is predictions. And I know we've kind of talked about a few um, over the course of our conversation, but this is going to be around areas of the store getting the most love, so to speak. We talked a little bit about the front front of house earlier and how that's gotten a lot of time and investment due to a multitude of factors. But are there any specific areas of the store that you think will be or should be getting more focus, especially now that we're, we're seeing reopenings continue and mandates change? I want you both to weigh in, but Aaron, how about you go first and then I'll ask Jesse to weigh in. Sure. Here, I think the point of sale is obviously a critical one. And as we think about retailers making sure that they're not only adapting to the kind of the jurisdictional changes and all that stuff that they've been doing for the last year, but also thinking about how to, that's the touch point, generally speaking, with the employee and the customer. And so how do we make that a really great experience? How do we make it something that's memorable and the customers are going to want to come back and, and be a part of again and again? So I, I think the, that point of sale and that checkout experience is really going to be critical and important. The other one that I'd say this is more specific to apparel is really the fitting room experience. You know, the fitting room experience, I think, is one that has probably dramatically changed, most dramatically changed maybe during COVID. And, you know, just kind of thinking through that, I think is going to be really important for a lot of retailers to make sure that they get it right. This is one that people are still a bit apprehensive, they're still a bit cautious, a bit, still a bit anxious as they go into a store, but but maybe ready to start kind of putting their feet in the water and, and getting out there. And I think the fitting room experience could be a really amazing experience if it has that service layer. Again, another touch point with the employee, another touch point with the customer. So. How do we make that something special and differentiate for that retailer? Yeah, that's such a great point. I'm so glad you brought up the fitting room because I know apparel is a big category in terms of our readership. And I know it's a puzzle that a lot of people need to solve right now. A lot of fitting rooms still are not open, but um, we're seeing some really interesting movements in like 3D fit technology, how AR can support more apparel type scenarios. So that's definitely one area we're, we're definitely going to be tracking. Jesse, how about you? Any other areas of the store that you think are going to be getting some uh, 
innovation sprinkles on it over the next year. I'm over here like emphatically nodding as Aaron is talking about the fitting room. (laughs) I think even before COVID, the fitting room experience that a lot of retailers, you know, it left a lot to be desired. It's a real opportunity to create that touch point, like he said, with the service level. And there's also a lot of opportunity there for, you know, technology integration with the use of things like magic mirrors and tying in social media, tying in e-commerce or purchasing from the fitting room. You have the customer captive there and it's a really unique opportunity that could be done really well. And I think it's kind of exciting that COVID has pushed us to look at this experience again and hopefully elevate it some more. Another really cool opportunity I think we're going to see is looking at store exteriors. So everything from your curbside moment, which, you know, it's pretty standard right now. You pull in, you get your stuff, but that's another moment to do some brand storytelling and to really extend that physical experience to the parking lot, to the curbside. So I think we're going to be seeing some interesting things with curbside, walk-up windows in retailers. A lot of brands are moving from those typical mall locations out into mixed use and lifestyle centers or standalone buildings. And so that opens up another opportunity to have a walk-up feature and also looking at store windows and sort of how are we going to reimagine what a store window is used for and the functionality there. Lots of exciting opportunities. Yep. So many exciting things. I'm glad you brought up the curbside because like you said, that is one experience that leaves a lot to be desired. Maybe there's a way we can kind of tie these principles all together, you know, that added service layer to the curbside experience. So it's not just validating the purchase. It's, you know, oh, do you want to, you know, have someone come and set it up for you? Or, oh, do you want some any final recommendations before you go? I mean, still a lot to figure out there, but I think there are a lot of opportunities and technology can definitely help facilitate those experiences. So a lot of very exciting ideas and opportunities. And of course, before we know it, we're going to be getting into holiday planning discussions. It's making me anxious. can't imagine for everyone watching right now that's thinking about it. And, you know, 2022 discussions, you want to start to develop those strategies. Aaron, you're our man of the hour. Any closing tips, best practices? I mean, you brought up a lot of great points around building around the why, but anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to shine a light on before we close out? I'm hoping that barring any new challenges, the retail community will have a really exciting and fruitful holiday season. I would say it's important for retailers to remain authentic to who they are as a brand. We've all, you know, everyone's changed, but I think, you know, many have become stronger and more resilient through their approach this year. So I think keeping that up is is really critical. And I think as you think about innovation and transformation, I think that retail will continue to be trendsetters in this area. So I think continue to kind of push, I would say, for retailers, continue to push in those arenas. Let's continue to kind of think about innovation and how we can kind of continue to better that experience. And so my hope is that, you know, retail community will use the influence that they have and the resilience that they have to create a better impact in the communities that they serve. So I think that's my hope for this year. 
great closing points, Aaron. Again, thank you so much for joining our conversation today. A lot of great insights. We always love hearing from folks like you who are having these conversations, who are making the goals and the visions that retail executives have a reality. So really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, talk shop with us today. Excellent. And thank you, Alicia and Jesse. Yeah. And Jesse, you were a fabulous addition to the conversation. I'm going to have to have you on the pod more to take some of this off my plate. Um, and really enjoyed your insights as well. And you're the one who really dug into this data. You chat with our, our design readers pretty frequently. So your insights were invaluable as well. Thank you so much. Of course. Anytime. And uh, to all of you joining us today, thank you for taking the time out. We know there's a lot of content out there, and we hope this conversation was valuable and insightful and maybe sparked a few ideas here and there. We are going to share links to our design research, so you can dig into that if you want. And we're going to even share some information on Gensler as well, so we can continue the conversation. There are so many ideas and opportunities, and we hope that we can continue to collaborate and shape the next generation of omni-channel experiences together. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.